0: And welcome to Champagne Social Butterflies, the podcast that is also now coming at you in vision on YouTube. And I am your host, stand-up comedian, sitting down, Donna Scott. And this used to be a much longer audio-only podcast called The Champagne... No. What was it called? It was too long. Lemonade budget for champagne social butterflies, but we're here, we're rebranded and I've come back at you in this medium So why the break? Why the change? Why the relaunch? Uh, Why leopard print? Back in 2019 I got diagnosed with a massive abdominal tumor and yeah, it's I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine Um, But it was a bit scary And I kind of thought, you know what, I don't have much of a legacy, I want to start a podcast, so at least I've got something out there in the world. And I did that for mm, pretty much two years. And, you know, I had my major surgery, uh, and I survived, and here I am with the scars. Oh my God, you should see my scars, I look like a nightdress case. Anyway, I am back. Welcome to my relaunch. We're all snazzy. We have got a lovely new logo made by Nikki, uh, with the butterflies on it, and they're having a lovely chat because this podcast has a new focus. Yes, I know, me and focus don't actually go together very well because I have a slightly you know, dodgy eye. Now, I had the major surgery back in 2019, and that all went really, really well, and I've got a show out of it now, so, Not all bad, is it? (laughs) bit of trauma. It's a material, isn't it? Anyway, come and see me. My show is called Donna Scott. Weird sense of tumour. I know, that's a good title, isn't it? The lemonade budget for champagne social butterflies, however, was a bit pants. So we've shortened it to champagne social butterflies now. That's the royal we. I'm just saying the royal we already. Anyway, why champagne social butterflies? Well, if you think about it, a butterfly is a beautiful creature. You see them in the garden and they go around from plant to plant, pollinating things. And a social butterfly is a person who makes f- lots of different kinds of friends in all different social circles. And they're called the social butterfly because they can flip from one to the other like a butterfly. And as a silent comedian, I found myself in this bucket quite a lot because i'm not only a stand-up comedian i'm also a writer an editor a trainer um i don't like fitting in one category and it strikes me here in 2022 that not only am i not alone in that there are lots of creative people out there who do a number of different things and are good at numerous things or they are really good at one thing or they're known for that thing and then they'll pot around and do something in the background until eventually they become good at that thing. And there's a lot of cross-pollination, see that word, pollination? Going on between creative types, creative genres. And I find that my books and things kind of influence my stand-up. My stand-up kind of influences the projects I like to go for in terms of my, my work and all the ideas that spring up that they feed each other and I know you are like this too but maybe you've been told that you should focus more that it's no good spending 10,000 hours on one project but splitting it between a couple of different things because you won't get good at the one thing maybe you'll get quite good at two things I don't think human beings are wired like that at all. Hence, this is the renewed focus of Champagne Social Butterflies. This is a creativity podcast. Whereas the other one was an aspirational podcast for hopeless people, I think in 2022, we are trying to have a little bit more hope and a little bit more more inspiration rather than aspiration and get there by our own means. We'll get to what we want to do under our own steam. And never mind what anybody else thinks, just do your thing. So that is my renewed focus. And I'm going to be speaking to lots of creatives who maybe are known for one thing and then become known for another thing. Or who find that the kinds of things that they're into feed each other in a delicious orgasmic way. So Hopefully, you'll get something out of this podcast, now that it's in a visual medium. I have got an interview coming up with Queve MacDonald, who was known as a stand-up comedian and is now getting pretty much better known, I would say, as an awesome writer of fantastic books. And we'll talk all about that and how they, they work with each other. In the meantime, this podcast was always a little bit of a diary as well. So I can tell you some of the things that I'm going to be up to in the coming weeks. Uh, Most importantly, next weekend, I am going to be at EasterCon at Heathrow, which is a convention for science fiction. And it's got a bit of a literary bent to it, as have I. And I am going to be on a panel there called Podcasting After Year One. That's on Sunday. But I'm mostly looking forward to a book launch that's happening on Friday. And that is with my beloved Newcon Press. You know that Newcon are the publishers of my science fiction anthology series, Best of British Science Fiction. Yeah, I do that. And I'll be there at the launch at 5pm on Friday. And that will be launching R.B. Kelly's on the brink. You know, R.B. Kelly, oh, she was nominated for the Clark Award last year. The Edge of Heaven she's so good she's so good and then there's Stuart Hotson his book is called The Entropy of Loss and that's getting some rave reviews already so awesome and I'm not a node favourite am I but I'm really looking forward to the launch of Queen of Clouds by Neil Williamson who is part of a writers group that I'm in Northampton Science Fiction writers group even though he lives in Glasgow and he is also somebody with a bit of cross-pollination about him because he is the disappointed sceptics club and you might even see a little clip of a video here of him being a zombie in one of his videos so check them out. But I'm looking forward to Queen of Clouds because it's in the same kind of universe as his previous novel, The Moon King. It even got featured in BBC drama Hinterland. They had to ask permission, they put it on their coffee table and everything. It was like, oh, really cool. <laughs> I love it when you watch programmes and then you spot books by people that you either know or you've read. You go, I read that! <laughs> oh yeah, I spotted Chris Beckett in The Cleaner. People said to me that it's a very brave thing to do to make a podcast. Um, I don't think so. It's not brave making podcasts, it's not brave going on stage. Uh, I was very scared when I made my podcast because I didn't know what the future held. Major surgery was pretty scary. But you know, I'm here, and I think now, with the news the way it is, the bravest comedian has to be Vladimir Zelensky. Huh? You've got to agree with that. I mean, there he is. The voice of Paddington, President of Ukraine, James Dean Bradfield of the Manic Street Preachers look-alike. Brave guy. Brave guy. He wins at Brave Standard Comedian Competition. But now that I'm making this podcast in this format, I hope you like it. And if you do, that would be great if you could follow me on YouTube. Subscribe is brilliant. Ring that bell. Just to mention my shows again. So I have a show coming up at The Lab in Northampton, which is a preview show ahead of Brighton Fringe. And so you'll be able to see Donna Scott, Weird Sense of Tumor, on Sunday the 24th of April at 730 and that's at the Lab, Northampton. And I brought my friend Ishi Khan, who has a show, Love, Desires, and Strawberries, into the, the evening as well. So come along, it's free. You know, only to see my show, which is awesome. You're going to see Ishi's show, which is also awesome. And my comedy group, The Extraordinary Time Traveling Adventures of Baron Munchausen, which is for kids. Uh, they are playing the Museum of Comedy on the 10th of April, Sunday. They are playing Brighton Fringe from the 28th of May to the 1st of June. And I am at the Caxton Arms at Brighton Fringe on the 31st of May doing Donna's Got Weird Sense of Tumour.
1: There's
0: a little voice that says recordings in progress.
1: I know, it's not as good as the one on, um, what was it, uh, Streamyard, where you test your speakers and goes, this is the sound of Streamyard, Test in your speakers have a great show." just this this song, it's how, how, how in the zeitgeist I am, my favourite tune of the last five years is that woman singing that. Um,
0: oh, I've never heard that.
1: Yeah, it's when I you just test just your speakers. It, it, when you test your speakers now in Streamyard, it does this thing where it does the, yeah, they, they have obviously recorded a little song, it's very clever, because it puts the name of the product in your head, um, but Yeah.
0: Welcome. I am joined by Queen Macdonald, um, a.k.a. C.K. Macdonald, author. (laughs) Welcome to the newly renamed Champagne Social Butterflies podcast. Uh, Oh, I
1: didn't know there was a new one. That's exciting.
0: Yeah, um, it was the lemonade budget for Champagne Social Butterflies, but as many people have pointed out over the time, too long. (laughs) So this is the inaugural uh, comeback podcast as it were new branding new logo new everything so I, I you're feel, my first guest
1: <laughs> I, I I feel truly honoured in a way I can't put words to which is going to make this a terrible podcast <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm <sure> it <laughs> so, um, it's an exciting time for you now isn't it because you have several new releases out uh, or yeah. new book birthdays and things I got a notification from my Amazon but yesterday I think
1: uh, no, it's, it's, yeah, thank you. It's, it's a bizarre thing where, because, because basically most of my books, uh, they kind of all started off us doing them independently. And then the Stranger Time series, which is the one is by C.K. Macdonald, is with Transworld, which is part of Penguin Random House. Um, Which is, so it ends up like, um, I ended up having two books come out in a month and people are like, oh, you're writing very fast. You go, well, one of them was written a year ago. It's just, that's the way these things work. Um. But yeah, it is a bit. It's always a bit um, weird when they sort of come out close together like that. But that was just kind of happenstance. The greatest thing then is, and it's people mean it in a nice way. But if anyone's listening to this who does this, you need to stop doing it. Where I've had people regularly read the books on the day of release, like they literally read them that day, um, and then go, "Oh, it's great. When's the next one coming out?" You're like, mm-hmm. "Just wrote that one. That one took ages. Don't, don't, don't like, uh, like it's not going to be next week. Just you know, it takes a while."
0: Wait, I'm going say you, your point good at getting them out regularly though aren't you your, your books that is
1: <laughs> yes I was gonna <laughs> to be honest and, and the other meaning of that question is also applicable when I've had a few drinks um but yeah no um I think I do sport fairly regularly um which I think is kind of important the great thing about doing it yourself is you don't have to stick to a schedule because basically if you do traditional publishing um great as it is in many ways it's kind of on a it's a sort of one, one every year kind of schedule Whereas with the other stuff, you can kind of do what you want. I mean, I basically, in 2020, we were supposed to go on, on holidays and stuff, like literally almost two years ago, exactly from when we are recording this. Um, and as we all know, things started to go a bit wrong in 2020. Mm. Um, and I ended up, because we had a holiday booked, then we we're supposed to be going somewhere else. And I was supposed to take quite a big break and because I just finished a book. And I ended up writing another book um, because we couldn't do any of that. So I ended up just picking a mad idea for a book. Um, it was a spinoff of two characters from one of the other books. And just writing that book, uh, and it was just basically, um, it is genuinely the maddest book I've ever written. Weirdly, it's kind of set in the more real world. Like the the Stranger Times books are kind of paranormal. Mm. But the, the other books are technically crime thrillers. Um, but the one Welcome to Nowhere that I wrote was the Mad One. So I basically just came up with this idea. I took the start, a short story I'd already written, and then just went, right, I'll just do the maddest thing I can for a laugh. And I ended up like them being in the middle of the desert and this sort of weird Mad Max thing where this guy was having a breakdown, but he paid all these people to be there with him. And it was all men and there were a lot of leather and stuff. And they're like going, is this guy having a very specific kind of breakdown? And it was all like the, my, uh, the idea I loved most of it was, uh, I came up with uh, an alternative history museum where they had all these incredible things that like moments in history that these rich people had managed to buy, um, like the, the Lewinsky dress um, and, uh, all these different things that were all sort of moments in history which was it was a was a cool sort of weird little thing but yeah the advantage of being your own boss which wasn't the question you asked is I got to do that weird thing and just bring out a book nobody's expecting to happen and just have it have it go off on one which was, it was a lot of fun that way yeah
0: well that's pretty cool yeah I mean I, I'm, I myself I've got them I'm juggling lots and lots of jobs myself and part of the uh the nature of my podcast is all about focus and uh, <laughs> sort of <laughs> but um, as something I, I'm not able to do very well is, is the focus and honing down into into one thing so I, I'm very much admiring anybody who who has the focus to write an entire book um, over the time when we we're all going a little bit crazy especially um, <laughs> but um, another the, the, the points of my, my podcast is, is to talk about influence and creative influence so one set of creativity um, like one talent and how it might influence another of your talents and the reason I picked you as a guest is not only because I love your books and uh, yeah I said to my husband by the way he wanted me to pass that on we've been listening to this charming man (laughs) Uh, reading it as well but listening to it and so it's been amazing but because when we first saw you it was on stage um, oh Gosh, I think it was when we were dating. So many, many years ago, uh, you were um, in Birmingham. I think um, you may have been supporting Will Smith.
1: No, I did not support Will Smith. Um, yeah. The people I supported on tour was always Gary Delaney and Sarah Milliken. And then was this in the Glee or anything? Or it might have been on the same. I, I don't think I've done think, many gigs at Will Smith. I
0: think it was the station.
1: Ah, oh God, that is a, oh God, that is a long time. God, if it's that long ago, yeah, that might have been because I haven't seen Will Smith in. in but that is a long time ago now. Yeah, blimey, that would have, that might have been my first ever trip to Birmingham. You know,
0: well, there's a I first know. time for everything. I, <laughs> know.
1: I went on to live there for a couple of years myself, and, and Gary had a, had a flat together for a few years in Birmingham. Magical yeah. times.
0: <laughs> yeah, so yeah, you were primarily known as a stand-up for many many years and quite popular yeah. on the circuit. Would I say? <laughs>
1: Made, made a living, uh, back when <laughs> that was a thing. Yeah.
0: So you're not doing stand-up anymore, as I say, you've been uh, an author primarily for a few years. Yeah, I you?
1: actually, yeah, I, I sort of, I kind of, the books started coming out in 2016, I think the first one came out, um, and they sort of started slowly enough, but they started kind of building a little bit, and I kind of realised I really enjoyed doing that, so I started leaning into that a little bit more. And um, the way things sort of worked out then, I was kind of on the circuit for uh, quite a long time. But then I started basically, I was supporting Gary Delaney and Sarah Milligan on tour, which are brilliant, um, brilliant things to do. So much so that it's kind of hard to go back to circuit gigs where (laughs) you basically get used to people turning up to theatres to actually just watch what's on the stage and not chat to their friend. Um, So, yeah, they they were kind of, so I ended up doing more and more of the supports, less and less of the sort of day-to-day circuit gigs. and then. June, I think it was 2019. I retired. Uh, my last ever gig was the stand in Glasgow, supporting Gary um, Delaney um, on his tour, which was a lovely way to finish it because basically Gary had been my housemate. We, I met him on my sixth ever gig when I was about to give up. Like I can literally, it's weird to say, like, I, I can remember the moment convincing myself to go to my sixth ever gig because I was the first four, the first one went well, the next four went terribly. And I was going to give up, but I, I went to one more just to do it. And I bonded with him at the back, uh, spotting, it was a competition, spotting the stolen gags that the bloke who won it was, were doing. We were able to tell each other where they were from. Um, and then yeah, me and Gary became good mates. We ended up sort of, when he gave up and I gave up, uh, I ended up getting a TV writing gig and he just was going full-time on stand-up. Uh, and we ended up living together um, in a terrible, terrible house, terrible apartments in, in Shepherds Bush before moving to Birmingham, then Leamington Spa. And then we, we um, we eventually parted ways when we both got women, uh, <laughs> essentially. Um, but yeah, so, um, yeah, but I I, uh, I don't know what, sorry, I feel like I've rambled entirely on this question. But yes, um, I did live in Birmingham for quite some time along my, my many travels. But yeah, sorry, I gave up, um, that was the question, sorry, yeah. But I gave up in 2019, basically, because the books had really taken off by then. Um, and I think, weirdly, I got the traditional publishing deal for The Stranger Times, in the week, if I remember rightly. Yeah, it came through the week I was retiring, which was weird. Uh, But it was, as as I remember Gary at the time saying, that's probably a nod from the gods saying that you're doing the right thing.
0: Yes. Yeah. um, So I'm I'm a person who has has given up many, many times (laughs) and then started (laughs) again. I can't give it up. I just say 2019, that was very, very shortly before the pandemic. And that is a kind of no time. So it could be that you've only just done it, really, so you could come back anytime, really.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, as, I said, as Gary's thing was, this is probably the greatest piece of comedic time you've ever had in your career because you retired right before everyone else had to give it up anyway. Um, but yeah, no, I've, people always ask me about, are you going to come Like, I oh, you coming back. You can get bored you come back. And honestly, I don't. Um, I mean, Jinx touch wood. Um, I think it's because it's not that I don't love stand-up. I absolutely do. And I love watching. And I'm really excited to go and see. I'm actually going to see Gary and Sarah's tours, the new ones, the next couple of months, which I'm really excited about. But um, when I think of it, I just think, oh, it's a long time on the motorway. And then every time I was on the M6 recently, I just sort of went, oh, I can remember when this was like four times a week. Um, mm. It's just that's it. It's just the travel. And I'm sort of getting a bit older now. So I'm like, now my travel every day consists of I'm currently sitting in my office at the back of my garden. And my travel consists of walking down the steps in the back of my, my garden and walking across the garden into my office. And to be honest, I'm fine with that. Um, so i like I'm, your I'm office. <laughs> yeah I'll talk to you again. I mean never say never but I think um, there's no immediate I might get the urge to I don't know do an Edinburgh show or something but I'll probably be so horribly undercooked if I do that um, having said that I have done like live launch events I did it my first lot because my first book came out the first Strange Times book came out in the pandemic um, which means it couldn't do all the stuff in bookshops and stuff where it should have been doing so we got to do the first live author event they got to go into bookshops and sign books and stuff only really um last month actually yeah and uh, that was great it was really exciting to do an event and I, my friend phil mealy came in and we, we had a questions and answer session and it was great so i kind of really enjoy that side of things and as the wife said at the time said you, you can see you've probably missed being on stage just by how much you were excited to be answering questions and generally fooling about on stage would feel a bit so you never know but i've no current plans to go back
0: okay for now <laughs> for yeah. now it was more because I think honestly, it was a focus
1: <laughs> thing. Because you say about focus, it was a focus thing where I just sort of felt like um, my focus is on the books and I felt like I my stand-up, I was a bit worried because I went, I don't want to be the guy who turns up and does the same jokes two years after the last time you saw him. Um, You know, especially if I'm supporting Gary and Sarah on tour and they're doing entirely a new hour and a half. So um, I think it was part of it was I just didn't want to feel like I was taking up space when I wasn't putting the effort in to stand up as much as I would have done normally. So that was alert. It was, it was a focus thing as much as anything, much as I enjoyed, you know, traveling around and being mates and having a great time. That
0: is, I, I'm going to say like this, this side of the pandemic, it's it's not as good because it, it, there's, there's no money, there's no more money in it and there's all the motorways are shut. So there's that. So <laughs> you're probably best. Yeah, but I wanted to talk about the creative influence, you see. So <clears> um, um, how do you feel that, having been a stand-up all this time has helped you, if it has helped you, with being an author?
1: Um, I think it's helped in a couple of different ways. Um, First off, the kind of creative side of it, Um, because my books are, I mean, there is still humour in them. So this, you know, it's a strong element of the books. Um, I've talked before, but it's the truth. I remember my first book, uh, we hired an editor. I I was really lucky. I just basically looked out. I didn't know who the guy was. He's a gentleman called Scott Pack. Who's actually a quite a big figure in British publishing? He, he's kind of used to be the head guy at Waterstone and stuff. He now works as an as a independent um, editor and does various different things. He basically just kind of does stuff Everybody he
0: likes. I know
1: who that is. Yes. <laughs> yeah, he does, but, but it's great. But he does he does, he does stuff that he, and, and he kind of, I kind of got him by accident. We sent him a sample. He was interested, so he agreed to do it. Um, but his great note on the first, A Man at One of Those Faces, which was my first ever book, was near the end, one of the final chapters, he said, You see this joke here, and this joke, and this joke, and this joke. And so I said, Yeah. They're all good jokes. You need to lose all of them because we've got to the point at the end of the finale. And he basically said, um, you've built these characters up. We care about these characters. We care about what happens to them. You don't need to be putting jokes in there because they're in proper danger and we want to be focused on what's happening. And I think what was interesting with that is it yeah. taught me that because to use a golf analogy, the like being funny has always been the, the club I go to. Uh, that's my my go to thing in social situations and everything even when I was writing a book it's the go-to thing and his thing was you've already been funny plenty of other places in the right way you don't need it here you need to trust the writing and take it all out which he was absolutely right about and it's the best note I ever got and I've I've always been very conscious of it since um but I think generally because I get annoyed people I know people hate this when I get asked a lot about how I write funny stuff and the honest to God answer is I kind of don't I have a board beside me here just out of view on, on the screen when I'm chatting to you. And it's just the next Stranger Times book, which I'm sort of two thirds away of writing, all laid out. And everything on the board is just what happens. It's basically A to B, it's like this happens and this person sees this person. There isn't a joke on there. Um, all I do is I lay out what's going to happen. And the funny comes from how I get from point A to point B. And that's just how my brain works. Like I can't write it the the straight way. I'll end up throwing a bit in to get myself, you know. And it's just it's not like I'm consciously doing it. It's just how my brain works. And um, mm. so I understand that. So I just let my brain. I don't worry about what's going to be funny. I just let my brain do what it's going to do. And generally, it works out in that direction. Um. So that was you know. So but stand up, I guess, just that it built it into my brain. I became a stand up because I was the kind of bloke who had to be funny. You know, that way like lots of people have to, you know, you become a stand-up because you haven't got a fucking choice because you're not, you, you're either that or you're the annoying bloke at office parties. So you end up becoming a stand-up because your brain works a certain way. Um, and then obviously doing that, it's like, if you're, if you know, if you're on drugs for 20 years and you give them up, your brain still has the sort of things that the certain habits emblazoned in it. It's like with stand-up, my brain just naturally does those things. It comes up with funny ideas in a certain way. So, um, I guess it stand-up trained my brain in that regard, and I just sort of let it go. Um, so that's on the creative side of it, how it helped. Uh, on the other side of it, a couple of ways it helped in practical terms where um, the fear of failure thing and the imposter syndrome and stuff, I had that a lot in stand-up. Almost everyone does. It's a natural thing to have. And then I was also writing TV, and I had that and stuff as well. The biggest thing I had when I started writing books is fairly early on, I managed to kind of get over the imposter syndrome thing that probably crippled me as a stand-up and stuff where, and it's because I've been through it before. You know, like, I, I guess I managed to learn from the mistakes where I didn't second guess myself. And, and, and um, you know, I just trusted in, in what I could do.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and, and that helps an awful lot because I just, I had the confidence that, you know, and then people like the books and there's a feedback loop where I'm very lucky where we have, we have really, super fans who my wife is now working full-time for our publishing company and she answers all the emails every day and she gets like seven or eight emails a day on average just from people saying how much they like the books um which she doesn't even show me anymore because she's, she's basically her attitude was if 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 it looks like I'm a particularly bad day you need an ego boost I'll, I'll send you a couple of the emails but I'm not going to tell you people saying nice things about you because you'd be insufferable and she's dead right um so you be like
0: what's the tally this week
1: <laughs> yeah just yeah i don't need to be you know no one needs no one needs that kind of it's not healthy but um, <laughs> the other side of it as well is um stand up just you know yourself just makes you tougher just tough it gives you a thicker skin because you know somebody saying i mean my, again i'm generally very lucky where my views have largely been lovely but somebody being um a bit of a dick on amazon or whatever if i see that review i've had blokes pounding the Doors of fucking cubicles. I was inside to tell me how crap I was. It's when you've when you've gone through that. It's really hard to worry about somebody writing something on Amazon. So the great give stand up give games you give me as well is that I'm not easy to intimidate or you know I'm not going to ruin my whole day because someone said something bad about me.
0: Yeah. So so it's it's given you a tougher skin. Stand up has and um, but it works differently because yes, you can be funny, but you're not focused on the. you're focused on the story. But how are you finding with us, that like being able to sort of like compartmentalize the creative process from anything else you're doing in your life? Did you find that stand up helped you do that, that with with it being a writer? Um, I don't
1: know if it's. I mean, I guess with stand up, you did have to sort of you get used to kind of it doesn't matter what's happening, you have to put on a brave face and go out and do your do your stand up and stuff. Um, I mean, it does. I mean, certain things, it's interesting because writing, people always go, I wouldn't know how you'd write a book and stuff. And Generally, I've written 13 of them now. Um, and it's you sort of, what helps is you've written, you know, what makes writing the 13 book easier is you've written 12 before. So your brain goes, well, we've done this hmm. before. So just, just shut up and do it. Um, but things like stand-up, it's kind of easy to stand up. I wouldn't say, yeah, you can turn it off stand-up when like, I've done stand-up when I'm ill. I've done stand-up when, you know, the stuff that everyday life things have gone wrong or we've all had to deal with. Uh, writing is a lot harder to do in that regard, because my father actually passed away um, um, end of January now. So only a couple of months ago now. Um, And I wasn't looking at a long life and it was nothing out of the ordinary. He was 80. He was great to be 85 and he was he'd been ill for quite some time. Um, But even for that, for the last two months, I basically had to give up for two months there. I didn't write because I just didn't have the focus for it. And it was interesting where in stand up, I would have been doing it as normal because I would have been able to turn it off and, you know, focus on that. Because when you have people there, that gives you focus. When it's just you in a room on your own, it's very hard to generate that focus if stuff's generally like that. So uh, it's one of the great advantages of stand-up. It's probably more immediate, whereas um, writing, I think you do, you can be pulled up. It's the first time it's happened to me. It's the first time I've had a break a couple of months, but it's just one of those things. Um, But I guess I, I learned from that that you have to be able to, you know, find a way of dealing with these things I guess
0: No, I'm really sorry to hear about your, your father oh thank you um so you're here in your office um does the, the, the office help to um inspire you how do you how would you have the inspiration around you as I, I, oh. I see a lovely shed
1: <laughs> yes no it's always it's, oh, it's a proper it's got no it's not a shed it's excuse me it's uh, <laughs> it's a proper man but it's got glass doors and everything um no it's actually it's actually a huge thing for me um I even when I was doing stand up and stuff before I'd ever written any books when I was writing kids TV and all that, uh, I discovered that I couldn't work well wherever I was living in my house, in my flat, as it was, would have been at the time. Um, And I actually generally had a thing where I had to get an office somewhere and I had various offices around Manchester. I think it was only ever in Manchester I started getting offices. Yeah, I just basically realized at one point I couldn't work. So I had to go out and rent office space um, and spend a fair bit of money on it. Um, but it was just I just had to just I couldn't get myself go focused. Um, and then when we decided to move house, I decided if I got an office in the back of the garden, I think it'd be all right because it'd be far enough away from the house. And generally it has been. But it is this is my workplace. I come here and it doesn't matter if it's 20 feet away from my like literally just off view there. There's a 20 feet away as the back doors of my house and my wife's sitting in the kitchen because that's where she works. Um, but it's still somewhere different. And I find it massively, the way my brain works, I have to force myself into certain things to focus. So I come down here and then I know I have to work. And even then I'm still messing about and stuff, but at least I'm getting closer to to focusing. Um, especially now, I, uh, I actually technically don't write anymore. I now dictate. Um, I've got this dragon software that I basically... Uh, talk to and and do the whole book that way despite the fact it doesn't understand my accent and the only way it recognizes me saying the letter or is if I go like a pirate um I still end up doing dictation um which I find is great I get a lot more done I also think it it also helps me focus more because I'm talking I don't know if that goes back to the stand-up thing or have you but I think it definitely helps me focus more because I'm saying it aloud um yeah
0: I must admit, even though I've done I've that, I, I find it kind of difficult to do that um, because I know you're not the only author I know who uses Dragon. And um, some people that they can get so many books out because they're going to, yeah, I'm just, just talk this book through. And I'm like, well, I'm like,
1: uh. <laughs> but that's the, it's a weird, I, I honestly, I had friends who did it and I thought, I remember thinking about it and actually having discussed with my wife, going, I can't even begin to think how I would do that. Like, literally no idea. Um, and then I started getting neck pains. Um, and sort of going down my arm and stuff. And it was just from my neck being at a bad angle because I was writing and all that. And I didn't know how to type properly. Um, and I just started testing it and I went, oh, um, and I was really surprised how easy I found it. And now actually I do kind of naturally do it fairly easily. And it's made me way more productive, which is great. Um I mean, occasionally I will, for the odd day, I'll swap back to typing just if I'm in the mood to not hear my own voice. <laughs> but but most I now like most of what I've done in this recent book has been 90% dictation.
0: Wow. Okay. So if I'm going to take any tips from you, I might actually try that. Yeah.
1: It really is. I, I definitely would just try to do something small with it. Um, but give it a go because I was really shocked how easy it was when I got going. And I came from a place, like I said, where I thought it would be impossible.
0: Yeah. It's definitely something I'm gonna think about because I, typewriter. I know that I've got. To think of myself, give myself three months to finish this one book I'm on, and that's uh, as well as my uh, anthology commitments that I've already got going. <laughs> so, yeah, it yeah. does. It's <laughs> one of those
1: things. If you, if you can get it, it really will. Um, especially if you're not a great. I'm a reasonably fast typist, but I tried to teach myself uh, touch typing over Christmas, and I'm better, but I still haven't really got it right. And I also just got annoyed by where things are on the keyboard. Like I don't know who it was, but somebody thought the semicolon was going to be a lot more important than it was, than it is, because uh, it's way too prominent. Um, where the, the the comma and the the and the quote single quote and double quote should be a lot closer. But yeah, I found myself getting annoyed by that, and so it, it is honestly, it's it's a life changer for me, and I would highly recommend giving it a go.
0: Okay, will do. So I will also ask you about um, some of the some of the characters that I've seen cropping up in your books. I've seen a few familiar names. Uh, especially in this charming man which we're in at the moment, there's a, there's a certain person who crops up who um, I know I've met and oh. um, um, gigged with at festivals and um, spend a lot of time drinking overnight with.
1: <laughs> I was going to say, I'm pretty sure you're talking about Cognito, but that was <laughs> yeah. the, the last bit was the giveaway. Um, yeah, no, and let's be honest, because people, I've had characters that are... Um, I've had characters that are accidentally named after comedians. Basically, I have a terrible memory. So to remember somebody's name, I will actually put in the name of somebody I know and then go back and change it later on. But in a couple of books, they slip through, which is why there's a couple of characters named after comedians that possibly shouldn't have been. Because <laughs> one of the things where Evan goes, oh, is that a j- dig at him? He's going, oh, no, I just genuinely picked a name at random of someone I knew. Um, but yeah, the incognito character, however, um, is a much in this charming man is much different where. I I kind of had an idea for a character. It was around the time of Cogs' death, uh, God rest him. Um, and um, it just sort of popped. I was telling my editor and my agent when I was having a meeting with them or, you know, a couple of drinks, I was telling him, because Cogs had just died, and I was telling them all the stories. And as we all know, Incognito, everybody has a Cognito story. If you don't have a Cognito story, you were never on the comedy circuit. It's the most <laughs> obvious. It's like the most obvious Sybilist moment, of that, 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 that the password of any comic, if you ask them. Their Cognito story and they haven't got one you go okay you're either very new or you're lying um <laughs> but yeah and he's also I remember seeing somebody say about I'm not sure if I ever saw him on stage and then I remember someone else going something up perfectly went you haven't you would remember um because Cognito was better even when it went badly it was very memorable um but yeah basically I had this idea for a character who was um forced to tell the truth uh, like literally cursed to tell the truth and then when I started thinking about Cogs, I came up with the idea that um, he would have to live on a boat for reasons that are explained in the story. Um, and it just kind of became uh, just what, I just wanted it to be a nice homage to him and me and seven Cogs weren't close. We knew each other, but uh, you know, he, I still think he was an incredible character. Um, you know, as, as, as everybody will tell you, he was brilliant. He could be annoying. He could, he was the greatest man on earth. He was also, you know, his own worst enemy as he himself documented. Um, but more than anything, he was a truly incredible. He was like, if you had to pick the spirit in the comedy circuit, it would have been him. Um, and he wouldn't have turned up to accept the award. Um <laughs> but um yeah, so I, I sort of that's the first time I've ever really kind of done it as a homage. And it was weird because I then contact his two sons and say, Oh, by the way, I've I've written a character named after your father. Um, is that okay? And then like send him the book. And luckily they took it in the spirit it was intended. And um and it's worked out okay um, that way. And, and thankfully the feedback from them has been lovely and the feedback from people who knew him has been good as well. Um, so, yeah, it's... Um, sorry, I'm just going to text my wife to ask her to take the dog away. Um, you can hear whining. That's, I'm afraid the dog wants to come in because he's heard my voice now and he wants to come in and get... I
0: saw hammer. him. I saw him in the background. <laughs> oh, is
1: he, he's probably. He's quite possibly uh, popping his head up. Yeah, don't worry. He'll, he'll soon get a bit of chicken and forget all about it.
0: I mean, um, there's not a day goes well, I'm not training somebody when a cat's tail doesn't suddenly appear in my face. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> That's the cat again. I'm recording this. Never mind. Have okay. a video with a cat in it and a cat's so, bum hole. <laughs> if anyone heard any
1: strange noises, that was my dog whining, not anything else
0: in case you are wondering. <laughs> yeah, I, I did uh, notice that homage and it's, I thought it was very well done. So oh, it was okay. lovely. But of course, the, the Stranger Time series has a lot of supernatural elements to it. Uh, it so the, it. Uh, the Strange Times, if anyone uh, is not aware, is, is um, a newspaper uh, presided over by um, a, a, a more larger-than-life character called Bancroft, And we see it from the point of view of Hannah, who uh, comes to work there. Um, and she's kind of fr- a little, little, not so much fresh behind the ears, but is that a phrase? Um, wet behind the ears. Wet behind the ears with a fresh perspective um but she's like a a, um a recent divorcee well about about to be divorcee from a from a a well-to-do marriage as it were and trying to escape all of that and um what she comes to work with is the stranger times which is um a, a newspaper in a in a church which it investigates the weird and the wonderful and the strange and um, I, I particularly love the, the snippets that you you put in the book books for the oh the articles, the articles. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. which
1: are, are quite hard to write, by the way, because it's genuinely hard because <laughs> they're basically it's basically it's, thank you very much. Well, it's, it's basically the fourteen times kind of thing, a, a thing dedicated to like as you said reporting the weird and from around the world. So the articles kind of had to be sort of like those, but sort of silly. But the thing is, some of the news, a lot of the news, is so silly. Even before, like, never mind the last couple of years. It, a lot of the news is so um, out there. You can't make something more ridiculous than it, so it actually becomes quite difficult to come up with something that's like you can't make a pastiche or something funny, um, almost. So yeah, they're quite challenging. They're a lot of fun to do when you get them right, but you do like you do have to keep. Uh... I actually had a weird thing with that where um, I tried to. Do you remember all the 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 five G panic where five G was co- was causing COVID and all that nonsense? Yeah. Um, I tried to do a spoof of that and I thought I'll, I'll try to take basically a technological advance in like a couple of hundred years, the last couple of hundred years, whatever, and pretend at the time that they were saying this stuff was ridiculous. And I came up with trains and I was trying to come up with funny stuff. People thought trains were causing. And it turned out at the time when trains started being used in the real world, people actually thought women couldn't go on them because their wombs would explode. Um, like that was a thing that people thought they had all these, th- like that was, more wacky than the stuff I was coming up with trying to come up with this sort of ridiculous thing and it turned out that real life was more ridiculous than the stuff I could I could imagine um, well
0: as somebody with an exploded womb you know it happens more often than you think
1: <laughs> yeah but it's not a train related it's not because of train travel
0: is my point. Anyway. who knows who knows who knows why <laughs> okay. I grew a one stone tumor I
1: Oops, could be blimey. in.
0: I, I could be in your one in, stone in thing yeah. Sorry, I, I know
1: this isn't the purpose <laughs> of this podcast, but my
0: God, really, God love you. That, that is, it was the original cheese. point of the podcast uh, when, I, when I first started this. Yeah, I, I kind of thought, let's document myself because uh, who knows what's going to happen. I was, it was three months before I started this, had the surgery, when I, once I, I discovered that I had this thing growing inside me. Yeah. Oh my God. That's yeah, that's, that's why I'm, I'm, I'm doing my, uh, my uh, show. is called Weird Sense of Tumor. <laughs>
1: <But> <laughs> <I haven't... laughs> Fair play, that is a good title. That is a very good title
0: you know <laughs> if anything it's material i mean it's an awful lot of material but it, you know a, yeah there
1: are easier <laughs> ways of getting material but yeah fair play to you that's certainly a unique angle incredible
0: yeah yeah that was my womb <laughs> exploded yeah.
1: <laughs> crikey yeah
0: so you know there you go
1: <laughs> don't, don't really know what to say next um
0: uh yeah so it's inspired by the 14 times yeah,
1: that kind of stuff. And sort of, and the, the Weekly World News, which was the one with the Bat Boy, the American one, which bizarrely they stopped making for some reason. Um,
0: is that the National
1: Enquirer? No, the National Enquirer is still going, but they're sort of, they're like their version of the sun now, I think almost. They're just sort of fairly sleazy. Um, whereas the w- Weekly World News was just um, bizarre stuff like, um, I mean, pick any animal, any famous person and them having a child. And like, oh, you know, anything like, Bat Boy was, the, was, their, was their favorite one. It was like Bat Boy was one they came up with. It was this kid, which was half, I thought it was half human, or half had very strong bat-like characteristics. And then they were like, Bat Boy was meeting the president. Bat Boy had an affair with Hillary Clinton. Bat Boy was in space. Bat Boy was on the moon. Bat Boy was like, and it was all these things where they just did it and it was just stuff they'd made up. I, I'm fascinated to find out more about that publication because I don't know where it ever came from and then it disappeared again. But it must—I'd imagine it's probably going back to people getting very, very stoned somewhere in America. I'd imagine that's something to do with it. I bet even money comes from San Francisco. Um, <laughs> yeah, the, the origin of does. all that. <laughs> yes.
0: So, so anyway, because it's um, it's got sort of like a little bit of bit of weirdness about it, a little bit of uh, uh lycanthropy. Is it lycanthropy? Yeah, there's a bit of lycanthropy at this place. There's definitely vampires. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yes yes
1: uh
0: and um demons and all of that yes you've got kind of like a, a definite um sort of outre about about it which would um let fit into the alternative kind of uh literary fiction so i'm thinking have you ever considered doing any conventions because i get to loads <laughs>
1: I have. I'd like to. I mean, it's one of these things where it's I think we'll probably see because I know I'm going to bizarrely. I'm going to Germany this year to do um, some book things and stuff. Um, and I certainly would like to do conventions and stuff because uh, I'd imagine there'd be great crack. I, I, do, I went to Comic-Con in um, bizarrely on my honeymoon, uh, went to Comic-Con in Florida. I think it was our, yeah somewhere down that way where it was just on near where we were. Um, myself and the wife were do you want to go? Was, yeah, and then we're actually because we hadn't got tickets. We were queuing up for like three hours. And like I was an area, and I was going, let's just go. With you. But my wife was like, no, we're here now. It's like we're in the queue. We're staying in the queue because I was like, let's just leave. No, we're in the queue. And then we, had, we eventually got through it, went in, um, and it was fascinating. They're a great place. I remember wandering around and seeing all the, they're they're all wonderful little, as you know yourself from doing them, all the the the, cut, the uh, what you call it. Um, there's a better word for dressing up. Cosplay. There we go. Yeah, lots
0: uh, of cosplay.
1: <laughs> yeah, all the cosplay and stuff and then going around. And there's what's quite cool is they've got quite a lot of independent like artists and stuff who go and do all those sort of things. So, um, yeah, I'd love to do them. I'd love to do them at some point. I know there's a big one in Manchester. So who knows? Who knows? Hopefully that will be in my future.
0: Yeah, I must say I've never been to an actual Comic-Con. Uh, all, all the many, many years in which oh. I've been doing things like this, I've never gone to a Comic-Con. They all seem to be timed when I'm... Doing other things, um, oh. but yeah, I, I've go. Um, this year I'm going to Chillicon, which is a horror, um, the Dracula Society convention, and cool. um, I'm going to spend a day at Eastercon, and Sci-Fi Weekender, Fantasy Con, probably Bristol Con as well. Lots of conventions.
1: Cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, there is there is a lot of them now, isn't there? I remember seeing a list recently because there my friend was doing a list because he, he goes to the lot, he did a lot of the list of the ones coming back and you're like, wow, there's, there's, it's, you could basically do one every weekend at least. I mean, there's more than one every week, most weekends at this point, I'd say, is there around the country? Oh, between oh yeah.
0: Yes. Yeah, so, um, let me think Dave Langford's site is probably the best place to look. If you want to find out where, whenever there's a convention and there's one near you, there's probably, I think it, this weekend might be ICFA weekend that we're talking right now. Um, there's just like an academics, uh, academics convention and, um, oh. Yeah, and um, yeah, what's it called? Ansible. So Dave Langford's oh. Ansible newsletter has all of the conventions on it.
1: Cool. I shall look oh, it yeah. up at some point. I might just go along as a punter, but yeah, but, but yeah, I do find stuff like that great. I find it just different, weird stuff. I'm always interested in.
0: Yeah, that's what I do quite a lot of the time as well. But I'm um, like former <laughs> former chair of the British Science Fiction Association. So, and I'm a director now. So.
1: Ooh. Yeah, get you
0: keep my hand in <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so yeah I would I think you would get a Storm uh, I must say it's absolutely refreshing to have something come along with with humor in it uh because I remember like when um there was a panel at such a convention many many years ago and a prominent editor uh said oh we have Terry Pratchett and we have Robert Rankin and we're not looking for any more
1: comedy <laughs> writers and
0: we're and myself and my husband, we just we just looked at each other and went, Really? Because we love that and we would love to read more. <laughs> so yeah. Oh, yeah, um, I think in 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 respect you, you going out on your own to do that 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 kind of thing. Had you ever thought about um approaching a publisher in the first place or had you always oh, intended to go? Yeah, self-hub? we
1: did we did we did look at um oh we tried to get agents and stuff and all that, yeah. And um we generally pay for feedback, don't ever do that. Well, I mean, get, pay someone to read your book if they're, if they're actually advising you. But I, I paid an agent, which is a terrible idea. Don't do that. Proper agents don't do that. But this guy came back and his, his feedback was that my, the first book, which was the crime book, was uh, too funny and too Irish. And I was, I that remember- was I feedback. Yeah, that was the <laughs> feedback. And I remember having this sort of weird conversation with him where I sort of paused and he went, you have to be able to say criticism. I went, all oh, right, so the thing is, I don't accept either of those things are criticism because uh, those two things pay for the apartment I'm currently sitting in. I don't understand what you think that's the problem <laughs> with that. I will say there is um, British publishing is is honestly a little bit scared of funny in certain areas. Now, I was Richard Osman's books probably shifted the the dynamic there again because that's quite a, you know a sort of cozy crime novel as they call it, um, and it is funny. So people have well, I can remember being told that. So when I did, I did the Stranger Times to do something different because basically my other books, um, ironically, my other books are basically too successful that um, traditional publishing, there's no point in having a conversation. They would never give us any kind of deal that would make it sensible for us to take it. Um, Mm. It'd be like literally, you know, you've got a machine in the corner that pops out money you're not going to sell it to somebody else because they, they offer you a, like, I could just give you some money now. And you go, well, this thing just prints money. Why am I? No, because um, when, you, when you get your thing going yourself, which you can do, it's, you know, it's tricky, obviously, but it makes sense to keep it yourself. But we, we wanted to do something different. Um, and we did got we got quite a bit of interest. It was great. Weirdly, there was a proper we got a few publishers interested over here and it eventually got sorted out with the with deal, which we we're very happy with. And we're working with Transworld, um, which is particularly good for me because that's Terry Pratchett's publisher. Um, who's my all-time idol um so now you're saying like we've got them we're not looking for any more Tr- trans world are now looking for more um but it did take them a long time before they they don't they haven't i mean they were saying they literally haven't had a funny fantasy which technically is what well, i like, qualify as since terry pratchett i think it was probably just because it was but now there's been such a big gap that it, it i guess it's kind of people aren't assuming this is something i mean yeah but to go back to the thing um yeah they are a little bit scared of, of funny in british publishing but i think that's changing because it was one of those things where i don't know what like it was one of those things where was asked remember i asked my agent going is there some big publishing deal they gave out to someone for funny books before that it didn't work like is there what is the thing that has caused this to be conventional wisdom and he actually couldn't tell me he was like i don't honestly i can't recall anything and he knows a lot of these things um but i think that's changing again um but yeah, there is, a and bizarrely, the Ben Aranovich books um, are funny and they're great, great books, first and foremost. And they're big here, big in Germany. I'm sure, bizarrely, Ben Aranovic being big in Germany is why I got so much interest in Germany, um, which is, is interesting. I mean, he's a bit of a, you know, I, try, I think it was, the, they honestly, I honestly do, I've never asked anybody, but I got the impression, I know he's big enough in Germany that, that um, perhaps German publishers were like, oh, this kind of thing goes well here. So maybe they were seeing me as something in the same area and the great thing about that is if you do go self-publishing people don't understand this I think is a big thing is it doesn't close the door on other things and um, particularly if it goes well if it goes badly you can just put on a different name on it and then not tell people you've done it and it's fine don't worry about it but if it goes well um it's great it's a it's a positive boom because as well barely else it shows people there's interest in your writing you get to learn by writing so much i like if if I if my first book had been traditionally published, mm. I would probably now be maybe on my fourth book, fourth or fifth book. I'd still be working as a stand up, probably almost certainly. They wouldn't see you know. Whereas now I've got thirteen books out. This is my career. I've written a lot more. I I I feel I've learned a lot from doing that process. As you you know, God, if you if you're not learning from that, you should stop. Um, and it's and then you know, traditional. But and the great thing about it is um people have this idea that traditional publishing is very inflexible in the way it does stuff and things and in certain areas it might be but they i will say they've been very open to the fact that i already have a fan base um and they've been willing to let me do things certain things the way i want to do them because they understand that my fan base is there like you know and building a mailing list which is a big thing of what i've got like a pretty big mailing list of like 15 or sixteen thousand people now who are fans of the books um and that's a great thing to have for your career because you literally send out an email and you can sell a couple of thousand books that day um, when a new book comes out. So yeah, you can, you can take control of these things yourself. And I think traditional publishing, certainly the people I'm dealing with have been good about that. They've understood by and large, there's always a bit of give and take that we are a hybrid author is what they call it. And it works really well for mm.
0: us. And is it mainly who the, the BMO that is Amazon? Mm
1: um the indie stuff yeah i mean to be honest um the kind of disappointing thing when the first trade book came out was all oh, the bookshops were closed so while well, they have online presences they're not really the same and it's very hard to compete with amazon online they are the behemoth um like my audiobooks and stuff are wide; they're in lots of different places and stuff but even then most of it ends up being audible which is again amazon um it's probably not the greatest thing in, for the industry that amazon is as powerful as it is but The other side of it is they have done a very good job in building that ecosystem. Um, So it's a kind of, it makes me uneasy, but at the same time, I do appreciate Amazon have done, without Amazon, I wouldn't have the career I've had. So yeah, it's a bit, uh, it's a bit of a weird one.
0: Okay. And I've probably kept you for long enough now, but uh, um, to finish, what would be your, your top tips on honing your creativity?
1: On honing your creativity. Um, There's that awful cliche that writers write. Now, that's one of those things you hear all the time. But I think the point is you kind of have to figure out what it means for you. Um, Like in my circumstance, I think the worst thing for any creative is you've written the script, the book, and then you then spend six months, a year waiting for feedback. And, you know, that way where it's it's out and you're waiting for people to come back. And I've had that with sitcoms. I had sitcoms for how many sitcoms optioned and stuff over the years it never went anywhere um, and it can be soul destroying so the biggest thing when I say writers write it's, it's kind of like a shark that sort of cliche that you have to keep moving you really do as a creative in anything you have to be going on to the next thing so what you do is you pour everything into the thing you're working on and then you send it out into the world whether that's publishing it as a book or sending it to agents or what have you or scripts going out and then you move on to the next thing And I think in stand-up, my biggest mistake early on was I wasn't moving on more. I kept hanging on to material. Um, And I think as a stand-up and all that, you have to grow by basically throwing stuff out and moving on. When I started pushing myself and doing the Edinburgh and doing the free shows, it was great for my, I think that was massive for my career because I learned an awful lot about just doing it as well. Um, Weirdly, one of the best things, not a creative thing as such, but I think it's an important piece of advice as well, is I was doing an Edinburgh show when I was in a paid venue. And I remember I had flyers and all that. And my agent at the time, Sean Almey, who was my live agent, is a great guy. And he said, you should go out and flyer for yourself. And I said, we've got flyers doing it. He said, nobody be as good as you at doing it. Like, if you go out and get people in, you know, be, and I did, I basically got over myself. Which was the big thing. Loads of stand ups in Edinburgh don't want to fly themselves because they don't, they're too, they're too cool. They want to be seen as successful. They don't want to be standing out, handing out flyers. It's like when well, you can look cool sitting in a bar waiting for six hours for your show to start when four people turn up, or you can stand outside for a couple of hours and actually be the bloke who walks on stage when there's people in the audience. Um, so I got over it and I'd rather be the second guy. And then I, I started flyering. And when I got people in, I got good at flyering for myself. And um, it gave me the confidence to kind of go, we're very bad in this part of the world at selling ourselves. In the, in the good meaning of the word. Um, we're very bad at sort of going, yeah, no, I am good at this. You come see me do it. I've written a book. It's good. You should come, you should know. And I don't mean like just pushing it at random people, but Americans bizarrely are much better at that, of having the confidence to go for it. And I think in stand-up and stuff, I didn't. When I came to books, I managed to get myself to the point where I just went for it because Edinburgh, those free shows and stuff, had taught me that if I actually push myself and get go out there, people will respond. Mm-hmm. Um And I guess I learned one of the biggest things I learned was then just pushing yourself and getting out of your own way. You really need to find a a way of getting out of your own way. Stop blocking yourself creatively and in every other avenue because people do. Um, And that's the one thing I've learned in the last few years is how to get out of my own way. And it's not the easiest thing to figure out. But if you do, it's probably the secret of a lot of successful people, I think.
0: I think that's brilliant. Thank you so much. Thank you, Queen MacDonald. Thank you. Wasn't that a brilliant talk? Thank you, Quee, for that. And if you liked listening to that, that's awesome. Please do ring that bell. Click that like. Next week, I will be interviewing the author S.J. Morden. Yes. See you next time. You have been listening to the Champagne Social Butterflies podcast. or watching it. And I have been Donna Scott all the time.